The Miami Voice is not a ministry of Calvary Chapel, North Miami, and the views from guests on the show may not necessarily align with my personal views or the biblical lifestyle views of Calvary Chapel, North Miami and Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. What's going on, family? Pastor Darren here. I'm so glad you're joining us with the Miami Voice. The Miami Voice seeks to raise the volume of unfiltered truth regarding our community for the sake of greater unity. We aim to remove and eradicate the hype and often sensationalized media stories to capture real, raw content from real people that reside in our community of Miami Gardens. We'll discuss pressing issues such as racism, black-on-black crime, gun violence, what can the church do, what has the church already done, and possibly has the church failed? And so join us as we engage the community. Just a simple local pastor reaching from the church into the heart of the streets to hear real and raw content. We believe we can be the change we want to see, but it starts with the real truth. Hope you enjoy. I love you. Jesus loves you so much more. All right, welcome everybody. We are back to the Miami Voice, and I am super excited today because I have an amazing guest with me. Uh, she is joining us via a Zoom, uh, and so thank God for modern technology, but this young lady is a sister of mine. I've had the privilege to work with her very closely uh, on some things that we're going to talk about in this in this podcast, uh, but I've had a chance to meet her actually even months before that, just as her being a servant of God, helping me <laughs> schedule appointments with my brother. Can you believe it? I have to make an appointment to speak to my brother, but I'm not going to put his name out there. Uh, no, he's a busy guy, and uh, she's definitely somebody <laughs> that is, is able to help govern his calendar. Every every pastor needs somebody that can help the director of operate or help direct operations in the church and govern calendars. Uh, and she was that person, but the Lord has kind of moved her out of that uh, and put her in other different places and spaces. So without further ado, I want to bring to you my sister, Tabitha Gibson, aka Tab, keeping Tab. She's actually got a podcast. Tab, let me let me just bring before the audience, the listening audience, your amazing voice. And so, thank you for joining us. Tell us what you've got going on right now. What are you working on big? Uh, and then we'll get right into some of the things that we're going to talk about. So, what you working on big today, girl? Thank you, thank you. Um, I am. So again, thank you so much for introduction um pastor db or i'm not sure how you go on the podcast but um i am again tab of keeping tab podcast i started the podcast last year um just really out of a desire to see advocacy take place so um go back a little bit more the year before so that was 2018 i started preparing for law school um i watched the khalif browder story as a real life story that um but the documentary of it is on netflix um jay-z and some others were able to bring that to us and in watching it it just broke me down in every way because i saw how this young man was taken advantage of by the system and the systems that are in place and i i just wanted to do something i left that moment wanting to do something and so my immediate thought was man if he had better legal um, if he had a, an attorney, a better attorney that wasn't just appointed by the state, he would have had much more care. But then it, I started looking into it. I was like, okay, well, that's one part of the issue. But also the system is just set up in such a, a broken way to where um, that there were a lot of things that happened that should not have happened. And, and so from that moment, I said, how can I 
on my end begin to do some work and begin to fight. Well, which it wasn't actually a beginning because um, when I was in Atlanta, I was um, doing some work with restorative justice and um, just been trying to find my ways and connections here in Miami. So I started a podcast as a means to to bring about advocacy for um, reform in um, the criminal justice system overall, and also too to uh, highlight um, mental health awareness, especially for black and brown communities. And so that is um, some of what my podcast speaks on, um, either social justice issues or also um, mental and or mental health issues. And so I am um, still working on some things and we'll have more episodes geared towards that. And so this is kind of that. Um, most recently, we have become connected with the AND campaign, which started and um, launched in Atlanta back in 2016. And so though I have been aware of it and have been wanting to be connected to it, the Brook has, and I'm sure several other churches here in Miami or South and or South Florida area have been wanting to connect to it. But um, with the most recent incidents that took place concerning uh, Breonna Taylor, George Ford, um, Floyd, excuse me, George Floyd, and um, even Ahmaud Arbery, this year has just been a year. And of course, since then, so many others. But um, it was a moment where we just wanted to say, man, we are tired of just sitting down and um, being hurt when these instances come up, but it just hit on a different level and we wanted to see how can we go about bringing some action uh, to make some lasting change? How can we be the change that we desire to see throughout the city of Miami, throughout South Florida, throughout the world ultimately? And um, us as a church at the Brook and also, again, a lot of the other churches that came together, um, we figured that coming under and campaign was the best way to go about doing that. Because um, what and campaign seeks to do is um, bring civic engagement to um, the churches and also to the community. Um, and what we see a lot is that... Um, when it comes to when it comes to politics, when it comes to the church, when it comes to just the world in general, what we see is that everything is very political. Um, and if we don't have an elevated voice that have both compassion for um, of all races of all colors um, and don't have conviction for what the Bible tells us to stand on, um, we don't really see that in our. Um, political and in and, and our politicians that often run. And so the campaign comes together to bring that compassion and that conviction to actually do work using biblical values and showing that, that the Lord was concerned about justice issues. Um, and we see that all throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, where um, there was a clear concern and a care and a call uh, for those in in all of those areas. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I'm just glad to be a part of it. And honestly, I'm still learning more in campaign. I'm still learning how we can be most effective with our South Florida chapter. Um, I don't know it all. <laughs> I'm so glad to partner with people like uh, Pastor Darren and um, even Pastor David Rosa and Ronnie Perry Jr., Pastor Ronnie Perry Jr., and Mucci, and Pastor Mucci, and just everyone that, Dr. Elizabeth, just so many people who are coming together as a part of it, and Michael Phillip, I, I know I'm going to leave out names, 
but it's just so many churches all the way from Homestead all the way up through West Palm Beach um, that are coming together uh, to see transformation take place in our community, local lens, um, not excluding social justice. That's good. That's good. We're going to talk a little. We're going to drill down a little bit more on the and campaign because we actually had a prayer and action rally that took place a few weeks back. Um, and so Tab is very humble. Uh, she is an unassuming young lady and will not tell you guys that she is the chair of our South Florida chapter. In other words, she sits on the top of the hill uh, and we just do what she tells us to do. No, really, we serve uh, together. But no, she is the the chair of our, our chapter uh, and has been the spearhead, the, the individual that is kind of galvanizing us all together, um, putting the pieces together, calling the meetings uh, and making sure uh, that, you know, things are, are getting done uh, as relates to um, this issue of justice. Uh, and so uh, we're happy to have Tabitha to be uh, the front runner, the, the fearless leader, so to speak. Um, but let me let me get into a couple of questions. So I love that you you made sure you mentioned that you're you're coming from Atlanta. Right. So that was that was home for you. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. Atlanta. So you've been in Miami now. How many years? I know the Brook has been in existence for five years. Are you one of the founding members of the Brook Church? Yes. So I didn't move. I'm, I will be here for five years in September. So the I have been a part of the idea and the inception prior to I moved and prior to my move here. Um, I came down for lunch Sunday, but I didn't move here. And Moochie, Diamond, and a lot of um, and a few others of the group moved down in towards the end of 2014 and started meeting with people and started. Um, city groups and um but the church launched in april of 2015 and i moved down in september of 2015 however i was a part of that planning team prior to i love it so that that tells me uh that you bring a set of sober eyes so to speak to the spectrum of what we're going to talk about regarding miami uh miami gardens in particular uh, because you can be born here and almost create a sense of biasness uh, to the city. And, you know, it's like a mom when it comes to her child. The child gets bad reports home from the principal of the school, but the mom says, well, my child can do no wrong. Uh, and so my child is not the problem. Um, but when you when you have a set of lens that speaks from a different space, um, per se, maybe the person on the outside is looking on and saying, mom, you know, your child does have a problem and we need to speak to the problem. And so I, I kind of see you using that illustration as somebody that's from Atlanta. You've been kind of viewing what's going on in Miami from a distance and now you're immersed in it. You've been living here You and five years is long enough to at least have a sense of what is taking place in the community. Uh, and you guys existed as a church yeah. in Miami Gardens um until you moved down to most recently little river uh and so you can really speak to the issues that are taking place and what you guys have seen as a church little haiti, little haiti. Little haiti. yeah yeah shouts little out <laughs> little river little haiti um so tell me tell me when it when it comes to the issue of racism um now let me preface this question with the reality and the stat that 90 percent of Miami Gardens 
uh, is black or brown. And so we've got another 10% that is of the Latino persuasion. Uh, not a lot of Anglos here. We are the largest city in South Florida, maybe uh, just teetering at the doorstep of Jacksonville, which I think might be the largest, but I think we could be. Um, it's, it's neck and neck. So what would you say to the question, do you think that racism exists in Miami Gardens or do the Miami Gardens residents fall victim to the racism that happens in other contexts and other Anglo dominant context here in the region of South Florida? You understand the question? You, you get where I'm going? Yeah, I do feel like it's the question. Um, hmm. So I haven't because I in um deeply immersed in Miami Gard in Miami Gardens. I can't say that I fully know. Um, but what I would think it would be is the latter, just the systems in place and how they transfer over all throughout the country. Um I would say I do notice certain things whereas Miami Gardens may be policed different than an area like Coral Gables. That's good. Um and at when I think about uh, a lot of the red light um, traffic violations and things like that. Um, and, and not to say that it's not in certain communities. However, I feel when I look at a, a area like Miami Gardens, um, to me it seems like a tool of exploitation um, and where it leaves people more hurt than it does um, help. Um, and again, I don't know the statistics or the traffic information to see like how many people are actually being affected by accidents um, due to, you know, the lack of it. But I, I, I know I go in other communities in Miami and I don't see that same tool there. Um, so th that's just one small thing. Um, and then when I look into like some of the school systems um, and then just the maintenance of a public Spaces, it looks a whole lot different than other places. Um, and so a part of what I do by profession, I work with a nonprofit organization. Um, I am connected with middle schools and high schools throughout Miami-Dade County where we educate on healthy relationships and life skills. And so, and so I have been into schools in Miami Gardens and in the Opelika area, and I've been in schools all throughout Miami-Dade and I do notice a difference when I'm there. Some of the environments do not foster a system where it creates a great learning system. That's good. Um, and there are some other schools that I'm in, and when you walk in, you automatically, from the lighting in the hallways, from the decor, from just the energy that is present in the schools, fosters an environment for learning. Um, and so, again, I think, like I said, I think it's the latter. I think it's more of the systems that are already in place that brings about a level of racism because it's hard for us to be racist towards our own kind. And like you said, 90% are black, brown, mostly like Afro or Caribbean um, throughout Miami Garden. So um, it's hard for you to be this is like being racist towards your own kind is it? Kind of impossible though we do have um here in miami and also in a lot of places in miami because it, it goes most by your ethnicity so we do have those separations when it comes to ethnicities um whereas okay because i may identify as jamaican and or haitian 
or Bahamian, we do have those separations, but it's still not racism. Yeah, so it's just the systems in place. That's my opinion. That's good. I, I wanna I wanna add to that if I could. Um, though yeah. we we might not, and I agree, might not experience racism toward one another uh, directly uh, or even overtly. Um, there is in the neighborhoods, particularly in Miami Gardens, and I think you would agree with this. There is an abundance of, and I brought this up at a church this past week, an abundance of. Uh, Pornography shops. Uh, there's a lot of strip clubs. Um, there are an abundance of places where you can buy malt liquor um, or just uh, liquor stores in general. And what I noticed that uh, if 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 you have an abundance of those things in the urban ethnic communities such as Miami Gardens, like I'm speaking for Miami Gardens, like I know that there's an abundance of that in Miami Gardens, and there's a lack of that in most suburban context. You don't see a lot of right. mom and pop strip clubs or even large industries um, that are like Tootsie's or, 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 or you know, uh, King of Diamonds, which was once down here. Um, we, I mean, we were known for these huge, robust adult entertainment enterprises that were right here tucked into our community. Um, Tootsie's still exists, but also liquor stores. If you, if you get someone to consistently attend these clubs and go get drunk, ultimately, what's that going to do? It's going to break down the family structure. The system of the right. family um, where husbands are going to they're going to start to drink and consume alcohol and then the alcohol is going to bring them to the club and the club is going to bring them to a place where they devalue themselves and the family. And now you've got kids growing up in fatherless homes and now they're going into these schools um, where they're disenfranchised. They don't have a level of excellence when it comes to education. Does that not perpetuate a, an express Uber right to the prison? Um, so there, there are a lot of things. So yeah, some of what you said, like the access to certain things that can be more harmful, um, and the lack of access to certain resources that can be more helpful. Like even when I think about, um, grocery stores in Miami gardens, so not that they don't have any, but you don't you don't see like a Whole Foods in Miami Gardens. You don't see like some of the farmers markets or some of the access to healthy foods and things like that. Um, you there's a lack of a, a lack of healthy resources, but there's like this overproduction of unhealthy resources, which you just mentioned. And those things do play into breaking down the families and communities when people. Um, only see what's around them, that, that's their environment. And so it's so easy to get connected and um, engaged in that or feel like that's even the norm. So say, for instance, you brought up the family breakdown structure and I, I spoke of me working in the school, speaking on healthy relationships. One thing that I've noticed um, most recently is are that most students do not desire marriage. Um, they, wow. they don't feel that marriage is a good thing or necessary. They they hear and process it through the cons that they've heard, but without um, being aware of the value that comes through marriage. That how most co most married couples are less likely to be impoverished. Wow. How, um, and just so, that's one small thing, but there are so many great that come from uh, marriage. But a part that's not a large part of their environment. They don't see a lot of marriages. 
because the, the, the way that, again, systemic things that are set up has helped prevent, has prevented people from being able to see and experience that. And if you don't see or experience that, um, you don't, you don't necessarily know that there is value in it. But what you do see and you do experience, like you may see a jailer on the corner and that person may be the person that's known for having, being able to access whatever they want, having cars, having a lot of materialistic things, and that becomes appealing. Also, that person may also be the one that are going to the strip clubs often and have all of what a, a young man may feel like he wants or needs for status. So they would much rather go that route than going the route of um, of anything else because they're not really exposed to it. And so how do we leverage even finances throughout the whole county to where we can make and the availability, again, to more healthier resources and lessening the availability of unhealthy resources? That was an amazing that's an amazing response now let me let me ask you this so we we've we've brought up some of the issues that seem to plague our community um and and you know we can get into the whole conspiracy theories as, as wonder you know as relates to you know why are there these these issues in our community that are you know plaguing our health and um you know who's infusing that into our community uh, i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm a bible realist uh and so uh let, let's speak to uh some of the things that that the Bible would call us to. Uh, and so you think about Psalm 89, 14. Uh, I've kind of committed this verse to memory uh, because I believe it's the, well, I don't believe it's the Bible tells us it, it is the kingdom uh, structure. It says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Truth and love go before you. And I, and I've been sharing that uh, even in the church uh, to try to help us to understand the, the framework with which we're to launch ministries and, and discipleship infrastructures, it should be launched on righteousness, which calls us to, watch this, personal responsibility. All right. And so when you think about personal responsibility and accountability, we don't want as a, a black and brown urban context and culture to just continue to shift blame and embrace or espouse the victim mentality. Um, we know that we can overcome and there are opportunities even through the oppressed system that we do see we don't explain that away we're not deflecting on that but how can we as a people take personal responsibility to live righteously so let me give you an example i was talking to a teacher and i think you can speak to this um very poignantly and even accurately because of what you do in, you know vocationally so i was talking to a teacher that happens to have gone into or works in the environment of a school that would be considered disenfranchised. They don't have the level of excellence, so to speak. Uh, they're not set up in a way that another school uh, in a more suburban area would be set up, you know, college prep. They wouldn't have the resources, so to speak, um, that would set the students up for a stellar education. But what she said was, when they did get some extra electronic devices into the school, or some extra resources into the school, the students that are by and large urban ethnic students that live in neighborhoods like ours either took those electronic devices and sold them off uh, or broke them um, and did not appreciate the value of what was being brought to the school. Um, so, so more simply put, when you when you when you when you walk through, let's say a 
an urban ethnic neighborhood, you can see people littering on the floor when there's a garbage can merely five feet away. And so oftentimes there are suburban neighborhoods that hold themselves accountable to taking care of the neighborhood and taking care of the context. Um, and even I'll go as far as to say they might have town hall meetings where if there's a liquor store that wants to open up or some type of strip club that wants to come in, I think they're punting on that. No, nope, you're not coming in here. You know what I'm saying? And so what can we do as a people to hold ourselves personally accountable, not to say the man is holding us down and embracing a victim mentality, but being thankful for some of the resources that do come in and not dismantling those resources or even dismantling our neighborhood. You understand where I'm going? Um, I, I I think you're asking like what what can we do? What responsibility can we take? Um, because of course there are some systems that are in place, but we don't just bow to those systems. Like right. how can we? Is there some um, personal responsibility that we could? hold ourselves accountable to as a people, now, again, not to deflect the fact that there is oppression, there, uh, there is systemic racism, uh, but there, are there things that we could do uh, as a people to not, like you said, bow to that and actually embrace the potential of change? And it starts with us. It starts, like Michael Jackson, the, the, the late great philosopher said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. <laughs> I'm asking him to change his right. ways. Change Come on. Right. Um there are a lot of things that I, I feel we can do. Um, one of those things is considering who we vote. Um, and a lot of times it's uh, funny because I went to Miami Gardens last night to go get some um, ice cream from this um, nice black-owned restaurant that uh, ice cream shop that recently opened. Was it Star X? And um, I know. Hmm? Was it Star X place? Wait, wait, I didn't hear you. Uh, is it he Heavenly Ice Cream? It was actually Yum 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 miami on 27th avenue oh wow okay so yeah very nice very nice people very nice aesthetics i can i'll probably have to like think picture something i took um of like the setup while there but um anyway i noticed that there were a lot of campaign ads um throughout and one of the things that um i i said to my friend who was with me i um i said i don't know a lot about some of these candidates and how can we learn more about more of the candidates? And I think that one, uh, our communities knowing how to be connected to finding out more information about the people who are running in their area, um, in our areas, so that we can make an informed decision when we are voting. I'm not gonna lie, in the past I have voted because I've seen a name on a sticker um, and not know much about that person, but I thought, oh, that name is familiar, and so I selected that name on the ballot. Um, but with education and awareness, I'm, I want to be more informed. So I want to know who my candidates are, who, what are they seeking to bring to the community, what are they seeking to remove from the community, what are what value are they going to add, and do I see it as a, a value? And I think that voting and being aware in our voting I think is a, a major step because the the um the politicians in the area they have a lot of say in what takes place. Um so they can they can help move forward um the development of new businesses or not. They can move forward or or stop um 
they can see to it that, like you said, more access to more uh, package stores and certain things you do not go for. Um, so that is a way. I think that the churches can do a lot um, by modeling. Um, one of the things you said earlier is that we're called to righteousness. You read the scripture um, from Psalms. And so that's modeling right living. Um, so although it may not be the norm for our society, but us modeling that gives people a framework and guide um, be, that they may not always necessarily see. So we don't just do that on Sundays in our churches, but we do that every day of the week in the places that the Lord have us, on our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Um, and so those are some things I think that can happen as well. Volunteering, going to the schools that or schools or different places um, and helping um, provide our services and even input to help move things along in certain ways or to help get them the resources that they may need, um, helping to mentor some of the students and seeing to it that their students are getting some of their needs met so that they may not feel like they need to take things when, once they're new and introduced there. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do feel like there are a lot of things, and I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the ability to give an exhaustive list, but I do think there are small ways, voting, volunteering, and um, just really being involved in our communities, not just turning an eye or a nose, but our churches being involved, um, individuals being involved, and being a part of the change that we do need. That's good. That's good. We're running out of time. I'm going to ask you one last question, but I just wanted to add an addendum to what you said uh, regarding the the being informed as relates to who you're voting for and what they stand for. Uh, there's a young lady named Janae Tate who uh, was on the show a few weeks ago. She is the chief editor and founder of High Low News, uh, and they're putting out a column and insights and information uh, as, and this is for the listening audience, but also for you, uh, Tab, if you haven't heard about her. Uh, they're, they're making sure that they are getting all of the uh, young black millennials um, insights and information into who these candidates are uh, and what they stand for. And so we want to make sure that our communities are informed uh, so that we make the proper votes uh, and we don't subscribe to uh, identity politics. In other words, I'm going to vote for this person because they look like me, uh, they act like me, I saw their name on a, uh, a flyer and it just seems to, to identify with me. Uh, but we want to make sure that we're informed as to the change that they want to bring. Are they bringing help or are they bringing hindrances to the community? So uh, check out High Low uh, and uh, they'll, they'll make sure that you are well um, informed and given insights into that. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, because it, it just kind of segue perfectly, uh, is the church, um, the issue of the church. Let me let me just pointedly just throw it out there. Do you feel, um, and I know that you're not an expert in this area, uh, but do you feel as a, as a as a faithful congregant of a an amazing church, I would say, um, do you feel like the church at large, not just your church, but the church, the capital C, has failed has failed when it comes to the issue of not just righteousness, but Psalm 89 talks about justice. Um, and so you mentioned the church modeling right living, right? Good, good orthodoxy. But what about orthopraxy? In other words, how do we carry out this living? Um, are we doing justice as the Lord would call us, Micah 6? Uh, have we failed in that area? Uh, and if we have, what are a couple of things as we close that you think the church could do better? Yes, 
for sure. Um, I do believe the church overall um, has failed significantly in that area. And I think that's why we can even look and we can see a, such a large black exodus from the church because of the injustices that we see taking place and the church not being at the forefront um, to see about, to see change take place. Um, and um, it, it's saddening because that is not what the Bible calls us to and what the Bible desires. Um, and oftentimes I hear people, they will focus on just the right living. Um, even as I injustices, people will say to me, like, well, can't you just teach the gospel? Like, why, why are you needing to do other things? And I get really confused with that question because I'm wondering, like, when they refer to the gospel, what are they referring to? Um, is the gospel just that the week of Jesus' execution and him being raised, or is the gospel the totality of our, our Bible? And if so, like, what part are they missing that I feel that I see, or what am I missing? Because I, as we both said, that the Bible is really clear on issues of justice as much as it is clear on issues of on, on righteousness. And um, so I do feel like the church really needs to make strides to understand and listen, going back to, like you said, that parent that may say, no, not my child. That's, my child didn't do that. My child's not cutting up in the class. Um, but I'm sure during this time of the pandemic, the parent has been able to listen and see <laughs> through the end of others and so now they may go back and say oh yeah that might be my child like what can I do differently that's good and so my prayer and hope that the church is doing the same thing that they're during this time they're able to go back with the different lens and perspective because they now have hear it more and that they say what can we do as a church to make change and so um it's a long process but I'm praying that it will take place now, I can't let you get off this amazing podcast call without talking about the AND campaign because there's some churches that are listening right now uh, and they're saying, man, what can we do? We want to see some change happen. We want to get involved. We want to get our feet dirty and get in the, get in the paint. Uh, and, you know, what, what can the church do? Speak to, uh, you know, the AND campaign. And then I want you to share how people can get in contact with you by way of your social media um, platform. But tell us about the end campaign. Like you, you shared about the end campaign, but how could someone um, find out more information if they want to join um, this amazing movement that, that is being birthed in South Florida uh, that speaks to uh, the Bible and social justice. It speaks to compassion and conviction. In other words, holding on to your conservative convictions, your core convictions, but yet still uh, balancing that with compassion, uh, social sensitivity, all of these things that the AND campaign embodies, uh, endorsed by Tony Evans, endorsed by Timothy Keller, um, has been in, uh, in, in, in place for five years and is making amazing strides what can that church do to come on board uh, to have talk a little bit about that and then tell us how we can get connected with you on social media? Great. So first, if they want to know more about and campaign, I think um, the best tool is their website and campaign.org, A-N-D-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N.org. Um, I think that's a very great tool. Also, too, um, which I'm looking forward to receiving my book soon. 
Um, there is a book um, that uh, the Ann campaign, Justin Gibney and Michael Ware have, um, that will be released this month, um, where it speaks more on um, compassion and conviction. And I, I think that may be the name, but I could be yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Great. And that, I think, will be a great tool to help better understand. And I know that there will be book reading clubs that will take place with the book just so that we can walk through it together as churches, as communities, to gain a better understanding of what it looks like um, to bring, uh, to, to see that fully take place as the Bible desires us to um, to be connected with our South Florida chapter as it's still being formed. Um, people can email me um, at Tabitha, T-A-B-I-T-H-A, at the Brook, T-H-E-B-R-O-O-K, Miami.org. So Tabitha at the Brook, Miami.org. We'll, we'll put all this in the um, description as well so that they can they can see it and, and click on the links. Click. Great, 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 great. So um, I would um, love to get people connected to the work that we are seeking to do here. Um, and so many of the pastors are already doing um, throughout South Florida. Um, and um, and be able to answer any questions that people have. Um, and also, too, I, I know you mentioned where people can follow me. You can follow me on um, Instagram at keepin.taps um, underscore underscore. That's K-E-E-P-I-N uh, dot T-A-B-S underscore underscore. And also, in addition, we do have a Facebook page for Ann Campaign South Florida. So on Facebook, you can go to Ann Campaign South Florida um, and uh, like and follow there. And therefore, you can stay connected to different events that um, we will be either putting on ourselves or rallying together around. Tabitha, this has been an amazing interview. You have lended some awesome insights and I want to thank you personally for your Miami voice. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you, Tab. God bless you. Love you, sister. Love you, too.